This is not the first time that black churches have been attacked. And we know that hatred across races and faiths pose a particular threat to our democracy and our ideals. From Pacifica Radios, KPFK in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon coast, on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the iTunes, progressive vo- uh, on the Progressive Voices channel. On the Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and five days a week on Radio Sputnik. This is your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Joining you with a less than thrilling action-packed adventure today, we will be talking. Uh, we will be trying to lighten things up in a little bit with the uh, with the Pope. Believe it or not, no, the Pope will not be our guest. Although uh, Desi Doyen, why have you not booked the Pope yet? Uh, it seems like we ought to have the Pope on to talk. I would about love this. to have yeah. the Pope on. I, but you know, he only speaks Italian. Oh, is that right? Well, maybe not only. Well, no, I think he also it's, uh, speaks uh, Spanish or Portuguese. Yeah. I forget which word it is. Right. Yes, it's true, but uh, I don't know that English is his uh, first or best uh, language. All right. Well, that's okay. I'll work that's with that. That's my reason. I'll work with that. Uh, and, well, let's talk with our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. She is a goddess, after all. Seems like she ought to be able to get the Pope. In any event, uh, short of the Pope, we will be talking about the Pope's landmark encyclical on the environment and on climate change and on global warming in a little bit with... Reverend Mitchell Hescox of the Evangelical Environmental Network. Looking forward to that. Um, see how uh, evangelicals are uh, handling the uh, the Pope's, uh, like I say, unprecedented uh, encyclical on climate change. But before we get to that, unfortunately, a white man who joined a prayer meeting inside a historic black church in South in Charleston, South Carolina, on Wednesday night, and then fatally shot nine people, was captured without resistance Thursday after an all-night manhunt, according to Charleston's police chief. Dylan Storm Roth, 21-year-old, spent nearly an hour inside the church on Wednesday night before killing six women and three men, including the pastor, according to uh, Charleston Police Chief Greg Mullen. Stunned community leaders and politicians condemned the attack on the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Attorney General Loretta Lynch said the Justice Department has begun a hate crime investigation. President Obama, who personally knew the slain pastor, State Senator Clementa Pinckney, said in a statement earlier on Thursday that these shootings must stop. Pinckney 
41 years old, was a married father of two who spent 19 years in the South Carolina legislature. Wonder if this will all have any effect on the South Carolina legislature and their gun laws. Pinckney became the youngest member of the House when he was first elected as a Democrat at age 23. As I said, President Obama addressed the tragedy earlier on Thursday. Until the investigation is complete, I'm necessarily constrained in terms of talking about the details of the case. But I don't need to be constrained about the emotions that tragedies like this race. I've had to make statements like this too many times. Communities like this have had to endure tragedies like this too many times. We don't have all the facts, but we do know that, once again, innocent people were killed in part because someone who wanted to inflict harm had no trouble getting their hands on a gun. Now is the time for mourning and for healing. But let's be clear. At some point, we as a country will have to reckon with the fact that this type of mass violence does not happen in other advanced countries. It doesn't happen in other places with this kind of frequency. And it is in our power to do something about it. I say that recognizing the politics in this town uh, foreclose a lot of those avenues right now. But it'd be wrong for us not to acknowledge it. And at some point, it's going to be important for the American people to come to grips with it. And for us to be able to shift how we think about the issue of gun violence collectively. Yeah, at some point, but apparently not now. That was the president speaking uh, on Thursday about this uh, horrific shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, at the uh, Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. The man suspected of killing those nine people Wednesday night at the historic church in, uh, in Charleston was arrested Thursday morning about 245 miles away in Shelby, North Carolina, according to law enforcement officials. Dylan Roth of Lexington, South Carolina, was taken into custody without incident about 11.15 a.m. during a traffic stop. Charleston Police Chief Greg Mullen explained on Thursday Roth was armed with a gun when he was arrested. According to law enforcement officials, uh, it's not clear if the same firearm was used in the shooting. A senior law enforcement uh, source told CNN that the suspect's father had recently bought him a 45 caliber gun for his 21st birthday in April. Of course, uh, I would caution folks, these are early reports still. CNN has gotten it wrong more than once in stories like this. Uh, nonetheless seems seems about right uh, in an image tweeted by the Berkeley County South Carolina government Roth is wearing a jacket with what appears to be the flags of an apartheid area uh, an apartheid era South Africa and uh, well the flags of apartheid era South Africa and nearby Rhodesia 
a former British colony that was ruled by a white minority until it became independent in 1980, changed its name to Zimbabwe. Also, a Confederate flag was reportedly on his car's license plate. Three people survived the shooting, including a woman who says she received a chilling message from the shooter. Uh, Her life was spared. This is according to Charleston NAACP president Don Scott. Uh, Her life was spared. She was told, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to spare you so you can tell them what happened. Man, uh, Dot Scott said she heard this from the victim's family members. Uh, again, you know, early, caution, so forth. Federal authorities have opened a hate crime investigation into the shooting at the oldest AME church in the South. The Department of Justice said the only reason someone would walk into a church and shoot people that were praying is hate. According to Charleston Mayor Joe Riley. This particular congregation formed in 1816, and it has a grim history, according to the AP. One of the founders, Denmark Vesey, was hanged after trying to organize a slave revolt in 1822. White landowners burned the church in revenge, leaving parishioners to worship underground until after the Civil War. It's been the headquarters for civil rights activities over the decades, Martin Luther King Jr. preached at the Mother Emanuel AME Church in 1963. After it was burned to the ground in the early 1800s, it was rebuilt. And throughout its history, it overcame obstacle after obstacle, destroyed by an earthquake, banned by the state. But its church members persevered, making it the largest African-American church in terms of seating space in Charleston today. That's just an amazing story. Uh, statement from, uh, it's not even amazing. I don't even know why I say it's amazing. It's just another day in America, apparently. It's a heartbreaking story. I think I think that's that's more of the... Uh, Thank you, yeah. ...of the word that you're looking for, because you're right. It's, it's not so amazing. It's just more, it, I think what's amazing about it is the fact that, you know, we still have this every every week, you know. it's Oh, it's this week's mass shooting. Yeah, and I think it's a watershed moment, however, because... Uh, of of the black church that it's in, the historical uh, resonance that it has, uh, and coming just a week or so after the arrest of a of a white officer who shot a black man uh, who was running away from the gun, uh, unarmed black man. Uh, fortunately, that was caught on video, and this uh, this cop has been arrested and charged. Statement from the Brady Center. And the Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence, which was founded by Ronald Reagan's press secretary, Jim Brady. A statement from a spokesperson there says, The facts of this apparent hate crime remain under investigation. There's still a lot that we don't know. What we know is that every day, every day, 88 lives are lost in shootings across our nation. And that most of these tragedies are preventable, though sensible solutions that just keep guns out of the wrong ha- through uh, sensible solutions that just keep guns out of the wrong hands. Solutions like expanding Brady background checks on all gun sales, shutting down the small number of bad apple gun dealers that supply almost all gun crimes, almost all crime guns. 
we've heard these calls for uh, you know sensible reform now for years and years and years. We heard it, uh, I, I guess, most loudly after the Sandy Hook shootings. Um, most of America is in favor of some of these sensible reforms. Vast majorities of Americans, and not just Democrats, vast majorities of Republicans, and not just Republicans, vast majority majorities of members of the NRA, the National Rifle Association, are in favor of background checks uh, for everyone, buying a gun, including at gun shows. We don't yet know if the gun used in this uh, was was legally bought. If the report from CNN is correct that his father bought it for this uh, for this kid, for this 21 year old kid. Then a background check may not have shown up anything. But that's just one of the sensible. The sensible measures that could be passed in this country if this country were not broken, if this country uh, we're not broken by money and politics. In this case, the lobbying from groups like the NRA who spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to go after uh, and are allowed to do it to go after those who don't support their radical agenda. And it is a radical agenda at the NRA. This is not your your father's uh, hunting uh, club, your grandfather's hunting club. No, the NRA used to be that for, uh, you know, about 100 years or more prior to being taken over by radical extremists in the 70s who have now used this for their uh, not only for their political agenda, but, uh, you know, on behalf of the arms industry around the country and around the world. And I don't give, you know, I... I don't give a damn. They can advocate for whatever they want. But they lie about their agenda. They lie they lie about who they are. They lie about uh you know what will be done with various gun regulation. And they're now allowed to spend uh, millions and millions and millions uh for and against politicians uh who who support that same radical extremist agenda. Well, I also thought uh, that one other thing that President Obama mentioned in his comments uh, in the White House press room today when he talked about how no other advanced country has mass shootings like this this frequently. You know, we do know that the NRA likes to lie about what goes on in other countries, but Australia passed restrictive gun control laws, gun safety laws, and restricted access to guns, you can still have after, a gun after, after a, a massacre, a massacre like this. Yes. And they haven't had any since because Zero. they have responsible legislators, apparently, even though right now we know the guy, you know, the government that runs Australia is a far right wing uh, government down there. But they're not insane. Like our country, like our legislature. Like our Congress. I mean, the facts, the data speaks for itself. Australia restricted access to guns. You can have a gun. You can still get to your gun. You can still play with your gun. You just have to go through the process that they have. And they have had zero mass shootings since. The, the, Fact. The, well, the facts and the data speak for themselves uh, when we have that data. And it's hard to come by that data. Uh, on purpose, because, uh, you know, Congress has passed laws, you know, to keep data from being uh, published about uh, gun violence in this country. Thirty two thousand shootings a year. 
the uh, Brady Center puts it at 88 a day, 88 uh, shootings like this, killings a day. R.L. Miller, a, uh, a colleague of ours on the Twitters, said, well, we can now add, quote, attending church to the list of things black people do to provoke shooting by white people, along with wearing a hoodie, etc. Man, another dark day in this country. One of the observers down there said in Charleston said it is like 9-11 all over again. Okay. With that cheery note, let's take a, uh, a quick break and come back with something much brighter. I'm counting on you, Des, for this. <laughs> you better be brighter. Uh, the Pope and his climate change encyclical will be speaking with Reverend Mitchell Hescox of the Evangelical Environmental Network about that and about how folks on the right, oh, I'm talking to you, Rush Limbaugh, are going absolutely nuts. Another day in America here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Please stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Had hoped today would be a bright day, a brighter day, at least um, with the uh, the Pope's uh, much-anticipated encyclical. Desi Doyen, as you've been calling it, the uh, the big papal paper that was uh, due. It, it did, in fact, come out today. Uh, it was released by the Vatican on Thursday... Pope Francis offered a sweeping defense of what he called our common home, warning every living person on this planet about wrecking the place with consumerism, individualism, and an unprecedented destruction of ecosystems. This was a 140-page encyclical, so I haven't gotten through it all. Uh, An encyclical, apparently... I don't know. I'm Jewish. I don't know. I, I don't I don't believe in God and I'm Jewish. So but apparently, according uh, to to uh, people who know these things, it is one of the highest forms of Catholic writing an encyclical. And of course, you'll be shocked to learn it has stirred furious debate even before it was released. NBC reports that furor is likely to intensify in the days ahead. Oh, do you think? 
Joining us now to uh, give us some of the details on this is my co-host and the managing editor of, editor of the nationally syndicated Green News Report, heard, of course, on this program and other fine programs and progressive radio stations around the country and world is our own Desi Doyen. All right, Desi Doyen, um, I know you've been waiting for this for months and months with great anticipation. What did uh, the Holy See drop on us today. Oh, it was a big mic drop, I have to say. Yeah. It, this was years in the making, ever since uh, Pope Francis first stepped into the office of the Pope. It's the first ever encyclical written on the environment, and he frames climate change as a human rights issue. He calls on world leaders and everyday people to come together to act, and he calls for a radical and urgent transformation of global politics and individual lifestyles to combat climate change. He explains the science underlining climate change. He focuses science. on he's the a, science. He, he's, a, he's a pope. What does a pope know about science? Well, actually, he has a ton of advisors, actual scientists that have been advising the Vatican and advising Pope Francis on what's going on specifically with the science of climate change. As it turns out, as I understand, he also has a degree in uh, as a chemical uh, technician. So he's yes. got a big science so background, he, actually. He does. Yeah. And, and, and in this, however, he he. he he does focus on the science, and it's probably one of the best, most accessible explanations of science that I have read, so I highly recommend passing it around to people that you know. He also focuses primarily, though, on the moral, the ethical, and the religious imperatives to act, because this is— Moral, ethical, and religious? What does a pope have—where uh, does he get the right to talk about— <laughs> Because oh, he's yeah. the pope, you oh, know, because okay, the church right. teaches about caring for Good the point. poor yeah. and also teaches about responsible stewardship of the planet of— as you know, God's creation. So um, this is what he said on Thursday from the Vatican when he was talking, when he actually first released this encyclical. Our house is going to ruin, and that harms everyone, especially the poorest. Mine is therefore an appeal for responsibility, based on the task that God has given to man in creation, till and keep the garden in which he was placed. I invite everyone to accept with open hearts this document, which follows the Church's social doctrine. Now, obviously, that was the voice of a translator speaking uh, for the Pope. He, in this encyclical, the Pope criticizes rich countries for extracting resources and wealth from poor countries without repaying that debt. And he, incre he criticizes the indifference of the rich and the grave social debt that their lifestyles owe to the poor. Quote, in different ways, developing countries continue to fuel the development of richer countries at the cost of their own presence and present and future. The developed countries ought to help pay this debt by significantly limiting their consumption of non-renewable energy and by assisting poorer countries to support policies and programs and of sustainable development. Sustain and that's the part that is driving the right-wingers nuts. Yes. And I'm, I'm going to have something to say about that after we uh, speak with our guest here momentarily. Uh, I have something to say about the politics about this, the politics that are driving folks on the right, folks like uh, Rush Limbaugh, Marco Rubio, Rick Santorum, that is driving them absolutely nuts. And it has to do with the idea that the Pope says out and out, yes, rich people, rich countries uh, who have enjoyed the uh, the benefits and economic of economic development coming from uh, the burning of fossil fuels for decades, that they that they owe it to the poorer countries that are still trying to develop, that are still uh, needing to go through a transition 
uh, that that you know we owe it to make it make it up to them that they can't just go and start burning uh, coal at this point and making things worse. So in some way, we're going to have to spend some money to help out these poorer countries, and that is driving the Rush Limbaugh's of this country absolutely nuts. But only recently, it didn't used to, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, did you have more on that? Well, just one more thing. To just to, just yeah. to be clear, the Pope does also talk about solutions, about increasing the use of clean, renewable energy technologies. He even talks about technology like battery storage and community solar, and he cautions against free market solutions like emissions trading systems because those oh. can be gamed by the powerful and give rise to speculation. So th- he does talk about solutions as well. It's, it's a really big deal, but we'll get more into that. He called for a bold cultural revolution in the way that we live and work. Uh, He calls on us to slow down, to drop the iPhone. I think he's talking to you, Desi Doyen. Uh, And to give up on the idea of infinite growth and boundless viable pleasures, according to uh, NBC. Doing so, he argues, will help us, quote, to live wisely, to think deeply, and to love generously. Pope Francis writes, doomsday predictions can no longer be met with irony or disdain. Well, there'll be plenty of irony on this show, but and disdain. But he writes, uh, we may well be le- we may well be leaving to coming generations debris, desolation, and filth. The pace of consumption, waste, and environment change has so stretched the planet's capacity that our contemporary lifestyle, unsustainable that it is can only precipitate disaster. Wow. Now, ironically enough, even though uh, he you know calls against irony and disdain, at least when it comes to doomsday predictions, uh, he talked about dropping the iPhone, and then there was the Pope tweeting all day, at least somebody tweeting for him, uh, about this encyclical. Among the tweets he put out there today, the Pope tweeted, Whatever is fragile like the environment, is defenseless before the interests of a deified market. A deified market. He went on to tweet, economic interests easily end up trumping the common good. Joining us now to talk about all of this is the Reverend Mitchell C. Hescox. He serves as president and CEO of the Evangelical Environmental Network, which focuses on creation care, the stewardship of creation in the Bible, and the fight for environmental justice. He was named one of the top 15 faith leaders to watch by the Center for American Progress. Reverend Hescox has testified before Congress on the dangers of mercury exposure. He's spoken at the White House, appeared on CNN, NPR, MSNBC, and uh, other high-class news outlets, way more high-class than the broadcast. And yet he is uh, kind enough to join us uh, today on the broadcast. Uh, Reverend Hescox, sir, welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And just so everyone knows, you said it was okay if I called you Mitch before we began this conversation, right? Yes. As my children will say, I'm not very reverent sometimes, so Mitch is fine. (laughs) Okay, good. I just didn't want to get anybody give anybody the wrong idea. Okay, uh, before we get into the specifics about the, uh, the the Pope's landmark encyclical, as I can tell, uh, what is the Environmental Evangelical Environmental Network? How long have you guys been around, and what's the central work of your organization? Well, we've been around for 23 years, 
and our chief work is educating the evangelical church on the biblical requirement to care for God's creation. And our number one issue for the past many years has been climate change, and especially its impacts on the poor and all of our children around the world. And do you consider yourself an evangelical? Absolutely. And now, are you a political organization? Do you take partisan sides on issues or, or, or campaigns? No, we are a 501c3 nonpartisan mm-hmm. Christian ministry. We do do advocate work, so I spend part of my time you know, talking to legislatures, talking to the administration, but we try to educate them on the biblical principles of caring for God's creation, especially its impact on human life. Our sort of slogan in, is creation care is a matter of life because we believe how we treat God's creation really determines how we care and treat for human life. Now, I realize that you, are, uh, while a reverend, are, uh, are not a Catholic priest. Nonetheless, uh, you're even closer than me as a non-believing Jew. So I'm hoping you might be able to help me out here a little bit uh, to understand the importance of what Pro- Pope Francis uh, did with his uh, release of this encyclical. Let's start at the beginning. What is an encyclical, and what is its importance as you understand it, or its relevance uh, for Catholics uh, specifically, and then more broadly for, for, for non-Catholics, uh, evangelicals, and, and the population at large? Well, from my understanding, again, as you said, I'm not Catholic, but an encyclical is a circular letter, a general letter written to the people of the world saying this, I, as the head of the Catholic Church, believe we have a situation that merits instruction and teaching upon, and here is the teaching that I am laying out for all the people of the world, from our perspective, a very important issue. So it's not as far as being canon law, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly above just a speech or a sermon. It's a very high sort of letter of instruction to Catholics, and I would say in many ways to the entire world. And from our perspective, that's the way we are reading it, obviously, as an evangelical. Um, I recognize the Pope not as the ultimate head of a church, but a true Christian leader. And I think the popularity of this Pope around the world demonstrates that he is a beloved Christian leader. How? And from, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 please go ahead. Well, from, from our perspective, he's just one more in an overwhelming number of Christian leaders worldwide, including many evangelicals, over 300, who have signed our Evangelical Climate Initiative back in 2006. And it's sort of building the continuing momentum of most of the world's Christians saying that we have a problem with climate change, and it's time to do deal with it, especially because it's impacts on the poor and what we would say that all of God's children around the world. How, how common are new encyclicals to your understanding, uh, uh, Reverend Mitch? Do you have any idea how, how often these, uh, these sort of they're things are issued? They're very infrequent. Is this his first, as far as you know, from Pope Francis? That I can't answer. Okay. You know, we need, a, we need to have a Catholic scholar on board to tell us that. Okay. Uh, do the teachings of these encyclicals, and uh, that's my uh, understanding, is that it's a teaching letter, essentially, to be passed down uh, you know, to, to bishops and priests and Catholic schools around the world. Uh, do those teachings continue after a pope is uh, gone? Uh, I guess I could say out of office, since we have one who is now out of office. But uh, in other words, are, do these become the official teachings of the Church, the official position 
until some other pope, I guess, comes along and makes a different case? Well, I think most encyclicals, and I think the first one was written back in the mm-hmm. 1890s from talking to my Catholic friends today, mm-hmm. but they become part of the tradition of the Church. So they're revered, they're taken back to, they're dusted off and used again. And sometimes if more information becomes relevant, I think they're actually modified to some degree if other information is learned. But pretty much they become the tradition of the Catholic Church. Uh, all right, now getting into some of the specifics, uh, what are well, what, what were some of the, uh, the items that you were most struck by in this encyclical released uh, by Pope Francis today? Well, again, keeping in the long line of Christian tradition, I think the first thing that he says is that the destruction of the human environment is extremely serious, not only because God has entrusted the world to us, men and women, but because human life itself is a gift which must be defended from various points of debasement. And for us, that mirrors the position of the Evangelical Environmental Network completely, that how we pollute the earth, whether it's from putting toxic chemicals in our water or our air, the the smog that exists around the world inducing asthma, to heating the world up, causing constraints on food insecurity and food poverty and uh, water insecurity and increased violence, disease spread. I think the Pope in that case has really done his homework very well and listened to what the world scientists are telling us, but also listening to what the people are telling us around the world, the, the people that I know that are experiencing these great difficulties right now today. Uh, now, Mitch, as you explained, uh, you know, w- what you were struck by, it seems to me to be not a particularly controversial idea that, you know, we, we ought to take care of our planet and the people who live on it. And yet, uh, many on the right and many who would call themselves evangelical, I think, on the right, uh, on the Republican side of the equation, at least, have been up in arms about this, have been going after the Pope, saying he's not a scientist, he has no business weighing in on any of this. Um, and yet you represent, as you said, uh, an evangelical organization uh, with uh, 300 folks who signed on to a climate initiative in 2006. Can you explain to me where the... I guess outrage comes from from that section of the evangelicals who seem to uh, not be particularly welcoming of of the Pope's encyclical. Well, I think first off, and I think the, the reality of the matter is that the issue of climate change has become a political issue based on all sorts of money and opinions, and even using the former Vice President Gore as a lightning rod. So over the past 10 years or so, we've seen climate change come become from a scientific issue Mm -hmm. to an extremely partisan ideological issue, that it's all about liberals and big government and about the United Nations. And our goal is to help people. In fact, we see ourselves as a bridge between many Republicans, um, which I am a Republican, Mm -hmm. to help them understand that, you know, climate change is not about polar bears. It's about our children. It's not about a future event. It's about what's happening now. And it's really not about following politicians, but from my Christian perspective, it's about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a biblical, moral thing. And one of the things that I truly believe that the Pope will help us do is to change this dialogue from this ideological bashing into a moral framework. And the Pope stands in in the great tradition of the Bible, of Jesus himself, 
of challenging the powers to be. You know, Jesus confronted the political entities of his day, the church, Rome. And I think the job of, of Christians is in a nonpartisan way to stand up for the biblical truths that we all believe in. And the number one biblical truth is, for, for in this matter, is the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we were mandated in Genesis 2.15 to care and tend for the earth. And so I believe that, you know, that fear of the Pope's moral teachings, along with, as I said, you know, millions of Christians worldwide from, you know, the World Evangelical Alliance, the Cape Town commitment that was offered by the Luzon movement, which was actually founded by Billy Graham and John Stott, our own work and, and the work of so many others, is just continuing to build this extreme biblical, spiritual, moral usurpation, the word you want to use, that we have a problem in climate change. We are giving the earth a fever. It's affecting the way we live, especially the poor around the world, and it's time to act. And I'm speaking with uh, Reverend Mitch Hescox uh, of the Evangelical Environmental Network. Um, Mitch, can you explain to me then uh, this split, the partisan divide that seems to go right down the center of the evangelical movement, uh, you know, as a Republican, as an evangelical yourself, you know, from someone looking at the outside, I hear people, I hear, you know, George W. Bush uh, back during his administration talking about the evangelical movement uh, as being a part of the Republican Party. But obviously, your movement uh, is separate from what we hear so much about, uh, you know, uh, the evangelical movement that uh, supports these hard right Republicans. Can you explain this political split to me and the difference between these two apparent sets of evangelicals, if I'm understanding it correctly? Well, I don't necessarily think there's two sets of evangelicals. Mm -hmm. I think that there are you know, 70% of evangelicals voted for Mr. Romney in the last presidential election. So re re evangelicals are identify more to conservative political issues. But again, I think the problem with how we've taken climate change on is, first off, the messaging that was used to explain climate change was not within the core values of many evangelicals. We weren't talking about, or the enviros and those people who were engaged in the issue to some degree, weren't talking about human life. They were talking about the polar bears I mentioned earlier. They weren't talking about current problems, but future events and how bad it's going to be. And I know I've personally made somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 presentations at Christian churches, colleges, conferences since I became president of the Evangelical Environmental Network six years ago. Mm -hmm. My staff has probably done another several hundred. And I know that when we talk to people, give them the scriptural basis of why we're to care about creation, to talk about the impacts, to answer the questions we can about the science, to set the record straight instead of people listening to the 20-second sound bites on Rush Limbaugh or somebody else, mm -hmm. then people start to understand and they get it. I know, for instance, when I became president six years ago, we had 15,000 people in our database. Today we're approaching 600,000. Wow. And the number is growing because people are understanding that it's real. I often tell the story about my dad. I, you know, one of my strange things that, you know, I've been a Republican all my life, but I actually spent the first 14 years of my working career in the coal industry. And my dad was a coal miner. He's now 89 years old. And a couple years ago, 
we were sitting at my home, his home in western Pennsylvania. Uh, my mother was seriously ill at the time, and we were having sort of a coffee and praying together and worrying together uh, at his kitchen table. And he said, you know, we were kind of disappointed when you stopped being a local church pastor. You know, we really thought that's what you should be doing. But as I look around the world and see that we have less snow, that my apple trees bloom earlier, the world's getting warmer. And we need to do something about it before it gets too late. And I think that's the answer that I would give everybody. People just need to open their eyes and look around them. There are over 26,000 biological indicators of our warming world. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to get outside a little bit and take a look at what's around them and experience God in creation, in nature, and see how it's changing. I live in south-central Pennsylvania. Our climate here is the same as Richmond, Virginia, 20 years ago. There's no doubt that it's changing. And why is it changing? Because we keep pumping carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. We now are over 400 parts per billion or million of carbon dioxide in the air, mm -hmm. which is, you know, 130 parts per million greater than what natural, what, how God created the earth. And I know some people look at me and say, well, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of, you know, 130 parts per million. Well, I would invite people to spend some time in their garage at 130 parts per million of carbon monoxide, <laughs> and in about an hour they would be dead. <laughs> and, of course, you mean you rhetorically invite <laughs> them to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. That was just certainly hyperbole. Right. Uh, well, let, let me ask you this, uh, uh, Reverend. Uh, the way you describe it, uh, the way you describe the, the the work of your network, sounds very much like what the Pope is now saying. The way that he's talking about this, you say you're uh, you describe yourself as a Republican, and I don't know if you said you voted for Mitt Romney or not. But you know, we we cover, uh, we do a nationally syndicated uh, a news feature called the Green News Report. Uh, Desi and I do here, and we've been covering all of the presidential candidates as they have come into the race. Uh, and I think on the Republican side, we're up to you know 12 major candidates. There's maybe one or two who maybe, maybe even acknowledge the existence of um, the existence of climate change and global warming, man-made global warming. Uh, I, I, and I don't mean to, uh, with all due respect here, how can you consider yourself a Republican or how can you support Republicans when it seems to me that the Republican Party has gone so far off the rails uh, as the impediment to really everything that you and your your group is fighting for? Can you explain that to me? Well, I think that's one of the reasons that I continue to be the bridge builder of trying to make it happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly worked last year. I did a lot of work trying to convince Governor Scott in Florida to take on climate change. Mm -hmm. I mean, I support Lindsey Graham as a person. I've known the senator for years, and I'm very thankful that he's, <coughs> excuse me, is one of the senator uh, people, candidates out there talking about climate change. We hope others will. You know, I am firmly convinced in my own mind because of the increasing awareness of climate change that I truly believe that a Republican cannot win the White House unless he talks about climate change. You know, it may be tougher in the primaries, but in the national election, it's going to be something that the Republican Party has to deal with. And again, 10 years ago, you know, John McCain was out there, and Newt Gingrich, everybody understood climate change to be real. It's just in the past 10 years, we've yep. had this ideological flip-flop. And I think one of the things that 
our ministry is about is helping people in the pews to understand that it is not this political thing about big governments and about things. It's about building hope. In fact, our new campaign is Make Hope Happen, because we believe that the greatest way to deal with climate change is not only being good stewards, but also empowering a clean energy transition that business-wise and economically-wise is unstoppable, according to you know, the, the folks that do that, mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan, Bloomsburg, other people. And we believe that's one of the smartest ways and best ways to both you know, change our own country's habits on fossil fuels, but is the best hope for the developing world, the majority world, to get electricity. And we believe that having electricity is one of the ways to really offer true sustainable development, both for education, for health care, for life itself. And so, I mean, I think the real goal of EEN is let's make hope happen by having a good price on carbon so we can account for what it really costs us to do. And I think that's what the Pope is saying in a lot of encyclical, too. I mean, he does downplay the carbon trading and saying that's inefficient, not correct. But we need to the carbon trade. When he when, when he's talking about that, he's talking about these various cap and trade schemes. Uh, that, cap and trade yeah. schemes, and also what happened in Europe of, of selling carbon trading of actually, you know, buying if people plant X amount of trees to the carbon. It is a cap and trade type system, right? And he downplays that and, and disregards that and urges people not to do that. But we do have to have a price on carbon. I mean, there is no ifs, ands, or buts in anybody's mind that the fossil fuel industry has put the cost of fossil fuel energy into the lives of each of our children, and they've taken the profits. And as a conservative, that's not fair. That's not even true market economics. You know, we don't know the true price of fossil fuels because we keep paying for them in health care and bad lungs and all sorts of things that really mess up our kids. I mean, one in three kids in the United States have autism, ADHD, um, allergies, mm-hmm. all related to how we use, or at least in link to, how we use fossil fuels and petrochemicals. And we don't bear those costs publicly and openly. Yep. You're absolutely right. And uh, and by the way, I, uh, just to clarify, I'm delighted that you're a Republican. I'm delighted that uh, you know, there are people who consider themselves actual conservatives who remember that the, you know, that, that conserve is at the heart of conservatism. So I've always been sort of uh, shocked as the Republicans have gone off the rails. And it hasn't really been over the past 10 years. It's been in less than that. I, I should say you could tie it back to uh, uh, to 2010 and Citizens United specifically, because, you know, you're right. Prior to then, you know, George W. Bush, John McCain, Mitt Romney, even Sarah Palin were all calling for us to do something about climate change and global warming. All of a sudden that changed once uh, Citizens United uh, happened. So I'm glad there are Republicans still in this fight. It always seemed to me that they should be a part of this fight until they apparently many of them just simply removed themselves. In the minute or two we have left uh, Reverend Hescox, uh, could you explain, well, your thoughts on what will be the, you know, the actual practical effect in, for good or bad, I suppose, that the encyclical will have on the political conversation about climate change in this country and expressly on the work that you do at, uh, EN, at EEN, the environmental, uh, the Evangelical Environmental Network? Well, again, I think the, the best thing is it's, it's another step forward by having another great Christian leader come up and, t- and stand for it. 
as you've seen in the backlash from the far right, you know, I don't think it's instantaneously going to change something. But one of my prayers is, is when the Pope comes to this country, when he addresses Congress, and I'm sure we'll meet together with Speaker Boehner in private, I know he'll meet with the President Obama, that he will actually pray with them and have this one-on-one conversation that will open up some of our political leaders that this is a pressing problem. And I think that's the thing that we need to have happen. I mean, there are a lot of ways to solve climate change and a lot of good ways to debate, which is the best way. But until we get our political leaders of both sides engaged in this issue, along with our business leaders and our moral leaders like the Pope and other people of faith, we need to sit down at this table and come up with a plan to tackle it. And as I said, make hope happen, because that can happen. You know, we, while we're deep in the woods right now, we can still solve this problem and make the world a better place if we start to act today. And that's my prayer, is that this will be another step forward in empowering the world to act together to solve what we like to say is the greatest, greatest moral challenge of our generation, but also the greatest opportunity for hope. Reverend Mitchell C. Hescox, uh, president and CEO of the Evangelical Environmental Network, uh, really happy to have you here today. Uh, you can follow their work and uh, the Reverend's work at creationcare.org. Greatly appreciate uh, the work that you guys are doing and your uh, willingness to come here and explain it to us today. Thank you, Reverend. Thank you so much and really enjoyed being on your show. And may God bless both of you. Thank you, sir. We need it. Yeah, we'll take whatever we can get. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back. I had mentioned uh, Rush Limbaugh, his response to the Pope's encyclical, uh, his outrage, and I'll point out his phony outrage. Well, you'll see why it's phony. We got the tape going back to 1980, was it, Des? Uh, yeah, 1989, I think. Stay tuned. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> I don't know what they have to say. It makes no difference anyway. Whatever it is, I'm against it. No matter what it is or who commenced it, I'm against it. Your proposition may be good, but let's have one thing understood. Whatever it is, I'm against it. And even when you've changed it or condensed it, I'm against it. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That music is particularly appropriate, as we'll find out in a moment. Uh, a, because it's Groucho Marx. And B, well, because we're going to be talking about Rush Limbaugh, who uh, is just against it. He's just against it no matter what it is. He's against it. If it's something that uh, Democrats uh, like, he's against it. If it's something now apparently that the Pope is in favor of, He's against it. He'll make up stuff. Uh, he'll make up reasons to be against it. He will pretend that there is something terrible about it. Uh, and that's exactly what he's done with the encyclical. And, of course, everyone on Fox News, uh, was it Greg Gutfield uh, used the same phrasing? Marco Rubio uses it. They're all calling the Pope a Marxist now. Thanks to Rush, who was the first to call him a Marxist. And he's been repeating that ever since. Uh, in light of the encyclical that was issued by the Pope today on climate change. And it reveals, once again, what a lying, filthy, stinking hypocrite that Rush Limbaugh is 
and I will point I will show you exactly what makes him a lying, filthy, stinking hypocrite. But first, here's just a clip of uh, what Rush Limbaugh had to say about the Pope and this encyclical. Go ahead. This Des. guy sounds like a Marxist, but he doesn't even disguise it, folks. In this encyclical, it doesn't even disguise every other word seems to be about how unfettered capitalism is destroying the world and how the rich countries have to give more money to the poor countries to make amends. I mean, that's call it what you want, Marxism, socialism, mm -hmm. what have you. Mm -hmm. OK, so the rich countries have to give money to the poor countries According to the Pope and according to Rush Limbaugh, that is Marxism, socialism, whatever. Really? Really, Rush? That's Marxism? Marxism? Giving r money uh, from uh, rich countries to poor countries so that they can uh, leapfrog over the fossil fuel era and start using renewable fuel? That's Marxism? Is it really, Rush? Maybe so. Maybe so, according to another uh, Marxist socialist that Rush Limbaugh may be familiar with. A woman once uh, known as the Iron Lady, a conservative icon, former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, who I'm sure Rush Limbaugh absolutely idol idolizes. Here's what Margaret Thatcher had to say about rich countries giving money to poor countries when it comes to climate change. Back, oh, I don't know, about 35 years ago, 1989, here's Margaret Thatcher. It is mankind and his activities which are changing the environment of our planet in damaging and dangerous ways. The problem of global climate change is one that affects us all, and action will only be effective if it's taken at the international level. There's no good squabbling over who is responsible or who should pay. Each country has to contribute, and those countries who are industrialized must contribute more to help those who are not. These protocols must be binding, and there must be effective regimes to supervise and monitor their application. Imagine that. That was, of course, well-known Marxist... Margaret Thatcher, former prime minister, conservative icon, and no doubt hero to Rush Limbaugh, talking about global warming and the fact that there is no use squabbling, that the countries who are industrialized must uh, make amends to those who are not in order to save our planet. Funny, but I missed Rush Limbaugh calling Margaret Thatcher a Marxist, a socialist the way he is now calling Pope Francis a Marxist and a socialist, the way Mar uh, Marco Rubio is calling the Pope a Marxist, the way Fox News is calling the Pope a Marxist. Despite how uh, Fox News, you know Fox News, uh, they, I mean, they look to Margaret Thatcher as you know just one notch below Ronald Reagan in the pantheon of great conservative icons. Turns out, I guess, Margaret Thatcher herself was a Marxist, was a socialist. For some reason, Rush hasn't noticed that. For some reason, Rush hasn't played that clip from Margaret Thatcher from 1989. Why? Because Rush is a filthy, dirty, stinking, lying hypocrite who will say anything he needs to say to help his corporate overlords destroy this planet. Thanks for nothing, Rush. 
My thanks to you, however, Desi Doyen, our producer today. To Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, my thanks, of course, to Reverend Mitchell Hescox, Republican from the Evangelical Environmental Network, uh, someone who does give a damn about our planet. You can find out more about their work at creationcare.org. We'll be back with you. Same Brad time, same Brad channel next time. Until then, you can and should find me and follow me on the Twitters and the Facebook at The Brad Blog. You can drop me email. Yes, I'm talking to you, Rush. Send me your uh, kind note at bradcast at bradblog.com. Until we meet again, you can find me at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.